Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Local Podcast. Today, our guest is Dr. Yesh Navogun. He's a pain management physician here in Greensburg with DNA Pain, and we're having a super interesting conversation about all things regarding COVID-19 and how that's actually deterring people with other illnesses from going to be seen. That's no bueno. So let's welcome today's guest, Dr. Yesh Navogun. Welcome to the Local 724 Podcast in three, two, four. You hear me all right? I can hear you. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. Uh, my name's Yesh Navelgun. I'm an interventional pain management physician here in the uh, Greensburg area. Got offices out uh, towards West Fifflin, Greensburg, Mount Pleasant, so I'm kind of in this corridor. And uh, topic I wanted to bring up uh, today is an interesting one, and that is, is that through this entire COVID-19 uh, uh, situation that we're faced with uh, in the United States, uh, so much focus has been on the actual COVID-19 patient and uh, a lot of patients who've got other conditions, uh, particularly heart disease and other things like that, have kind of been left to the wayside to the extent that many of them have had fears that going to the emergency room, for instance, might lead to them contracting this disease. Um, and it's interesting, someone with chest pain who's potentially going to die from a heart attack has so much fear of COVID-19 that they end up with the, um, uh, staying at home and uh, dying of a heart attack, for instance, instead of making it to the emergency room where they could actually be treated. Uh, particularly in this corridor, uh, in Western Pennsylvania, especially in our neck of the woods, um, you know, we have been very fortunate. We haven't been hit nearly as uh, significantly as other parts of the uh, the country, and it's it's quite sad that a, a number of these patients would avoid treatment, getting to the hospital uh, to get treatment, just because of these sorts of fears. Um, my arena, particularly, is interesting, and that's uh, interventional pain management because pain unlike uh, a number of other diseases, maybe diabetes or heart disease, things like that, doesn't necessarily um, fall under the category of emergency. But if you think about it, when you're dealing with pain management, it's something that's a constant reminder. When you have diabetes, it's not reminding you every minute of the day that you have diabetes. A lot of times you might even forget for a little while until you check your blood sugar. But with pain, we run into this constant reminder, and we've got so many patients who, uh, because of the uh, halt on elective procedures and the attempt to try to protect us from uh, utilizing too many uh, personal protective equipment, these PPE that's uh, often talked about in the news, uh, that there's been orders to uh, sort of eliminate, quote, elective procedures. And one of the things I found was is that the pain in of itself, uh, especially when you're getting treated for pain, um, when you're hurting, it's not an elective procedure. It's, no, it's not. <laughs> it's, not at all. It's, it's, it's bad, right. So um, so uh, about a month ago when the, uh, the federal government had uh, loosened the regulations on telemedicine, uh, we were able to very quickly, I mean, literally, we got wind of it on Friday afternoon, and by Monday, we had a telemedicine uh, set up in all of our offices and we've been able to to really uh, treat patients as best we can as, over the uh, over the telemedicine visits but that brings me to the uh, the other half of it and that is 
defining interventional pain management versus our typical um, pill mills or places where you just go to get pills and things like that. I think what COVID has done is, is it's kind of put us in a bad situation in which we can't offer the normal things that we do, injections and things like that, that help relieve pain. And so we're forced to take years and years of work towards curbing this opiate crisis and opening the doors for prescribing more opiates and things like that, just to bridge the gap in order to get us from point A to point B. So it's it's been uh, it's been quite trying, but I think uh, you know, like every industry, we've got to make the changes and the necessary adjustments. And I think we've done a pretty good job of doing so. Uh, we're still averaging well over 120 patients a day that are being seen either through telemedicine uh, or through very very controlled situations in which. If the pain is so severe, we bring them into the office, which is a heck of a lot cleaner than large institutions, for instance. Um, and we're able to control how clean we keep the offices and such. So we bring them in. Um, our waiting room now has three chairs in it instead of our yeah. usual 20. <laughs> We've got three chairs. Uh, it's more of an appointment-based uh, thing. And if someone shows up early, for instance, uh, we're having our staff just take their cell phone number and have them wait in the car. You know, yeah, so that's perfect. Your car car becomes a new waiting room, and it tries to keep us uh, um, uh, protected and, and distant, and so so no patients are really crossing over each other. And, uh, so it, it's been uh, it's been a whirlwind of changes, and it feels like a lifetime ago when things were quote normal, right? Um, but uh, it's really only a couple months, and and so uh, but but I think that uh, you know I, I really wanted to, to point out you know the especially people who have, whether it's pain or any other condition, uh, don't avoid getting health care and treatment during this time, just simply out of fear of this, uh, this disease. Right. Yeah. I can't, uh, I mean, and I thought about that, you know, when this all started, that's all we were hearing about was just coronavirus, COVID-19, everything like that. And, um, you know, for a good reason, I guess, I mean, it was it's a pandemic, it's taken over, but, um, I, I was sitting there thinking about like, hey, you know, what if, uh, you know, what if a kid has an asthma attack? What happens? Like, where where does he go? Like, I mean, is it safe to go to these, uh, like these neighborhood clinics? Um, or, you know, should we go to the hospital? A lot of, you know, misinformation out there is saying, don't go to the hospital unless you exhibit these um particular uh um symptoms symptoms and things and and it was just like you know so i could understand why people aren't you know going but you know those life-threatening things like you know maybe chest pains or you know something like that i that's a tough call i mean and you have older folks who might be you know very um you know sticklers when it comes to you know the media and the rules and things like that, you know, where people, you know, of a younger age might be like, well, you know, screw this. I'm going, I'm going regardless. Yeah. So, no, you know, I think where the, the misconception about all of this came was when they started giving um, a lot of uh, information regarding uh, what signs and symptoms you should go to the hospital with. And I think they were implying that if you suspect you have 
COVID or you suspect you have symptoms of COVID, then be very careful for minor symptoms. Don't just show up at the hospital because there's a likelihood you could spread the disease. Right. What they didn't clarify was that if you have symptoms completely unrelated to COVID, then the answer is go to the hospital. You really have exactly. to go to the hospital. And, uh, and I think that that left uh, a little confusion in the minds of, of, of a number of people. So, so I've been telling patients all the time, like, for some reason, you're, you have a loss of function of your right foot. There's pain, and then you can't move your right foot. For it. And that has nothing to do with COVID. And the answer was to go to the hospital. And the reason they were keeping people out of the hospital was to protect those susceptible in the hospital that might get COVID if you show up this just because you have a cough, for instance, and it's not causing any other symptoms. So, so I think we, we really need to clarify that and make sure people know that it is important to go to the hospital. Uh, it's, it's the screening of yourself when it comes to COVID, particularly if it's a mild cough or something that you're not really uh, having any other symptoms about, then isolate yourself for two weeks. That's no, no, nothing wrong with that. But, but if it's not related to COVID, by all means, you should be getting to the hospital or uh, clinics or urgent care. There's a couple of new uh, ones that are uh, right up here in the uh, West Mullen area as well. Uh, any of those are, are perfectly acceptable. Yeah. It's, to, it's so wild that they kind of left all out of that, uh, out, <laughs> all of the important information there. It was just like, you know, even me as you know, I feel like I'm a young guy. I'm pretty with the times and things, and maybe I could read between the lines. I was still kind of just like looking like, wait, are they saying not to go to the hospital or don't go to, you know, these places? And that's what had me thinking like, you know, you know, what if people are having an asthma attack or a heart attack, or what if somebody's, you know, exhibiting signs of a stroke or something like that? It's like, you have to go. And, um, you know, as much as life is being affected and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a big proponent of, you know, wearing a mask in the store. Uh, I'm very vocal about it. Um, you know, when you're out, wear the masks, that and that. I mean, if it's going to help, that's, you know, cool. Sure. Then let's do it. And it doesn't hurt. It doesn't hurt you in any way. I mean, you right. just throw a mask Absolutely. on, you go to a public area, you're fine. Yeah. And, you know, I, I feel <laughs> like, you know, you should uh, definitely get out there and, you know, as much as I guess, like I'm saying, uh, you know, I'm a big proponent of keeping people at home. I'm also at the point throughout this, uh, experience where I'm just like, okay, life kind of has to move on. And, you know, is there a way to make it move on safely? Um, well, we're taking some precautions with masks and, and gloves. Um, you know, I, I decided not to, to continue on with the gloves because it felt as though I was like, either way, I was going to cross-contaminate something. Uh, well, you know, whether I think that's a really money. good. Go ahead. That's a really good. That's a really good point. Um, you know, I'm a big proponent of not using gloves, and I'll tell you why. Uh, again, as a physician, uh, I also um, not only do injections and such, but I do surgical implants for pain devices, pain pumps, things like that. Mm -hmm. So I'm very comfortable in the operating room and what sterile technique really involves. Uh, and what I found is, is that the general public is not really equipped to understand sterile technique. And when you put gloves on, you get a tendency to feel like there's a barrier and now you're safe. But what you are is, is potentially safe to yourself to some degree, 
but you're not making it any safer for those around you. And the reason being is, is that when you pick something up and you touch it and then you get to your car and you touch your steering wheel and things, all of all the, the gloves in the world are not going to prevent transmission of disease from that glove to something else. But on the other side, if you use good hand washing technique and every time you engage in something that you think might transmit the disease or you might have the, a potential for transmitting the disease, wash your hands, soap and water, 20 seconds. Um, uh, hand sanitizer, if you have it available, I know it's not the, it's, it's easier said than done these days. Right, yeah. 15, 15 bucks for an eight ounce, uh, you know, hand sanitizer or whatever. Yeah. Things are getting crazy out there. But in general, soap and water works really, yeah, there you go. <laughs> soap and water works. <laughs> have it everywhere. Really, yeah. Uh, soap and water works really, really well. Um, the, the virus itself, a lot of times people don't even understand what the virus itself is, uh, is composed of. Uh, people think of it as like a living, breathing uh, being or, or bacteria or something to that effect, but a virus is very different. It's just a small strand of DNA wrapped in a fat capsule. So the, the best thing to break up a fat capsule would be your Dawn dishwashing liquid, for instance. Uh, so I encourage people to use anything that can create suds and soap, you know, that type of stuff, uh, to wash your hands. So if you go out, you go grocery shopping, leave the stuff in your garage, come inside, wash your hands, uh, do a little uh, wipe down of your uh, box groceries and things like that. All those things make a lot of sense. Um, but wearing gloves almost makes me a little bit nervous when I see people wearing gloves because all I'm thinking about is with my ster sterility training and thinking all you're doing is, is transmitting more uh, across, across the way. So I, I agree with you. I think your yeah. concept on gloves makes sense. Masks for sure. I mean, there's no question. Yeah, that's what I, I was wearing gloves for a couple of weeks. And then I realized that once I got to my car, I was like, ah, that like I'm touching everything. And then I'm trying to think like, well, if I get in the car first then take the glove and it just like it got to a point where I was like, this isn't it's not working. And what I could do is just, you know, carry my hand sanitizer with me. I have a little, you know, operation. I, I come out of the store. I put my my groceries in there. Uh, I get in the car and the inside handle where I go to pull the door shut. I don't touch that until I do that. And I don't know if that is doing anything, but, uh, I feel more comfortable doing it that way. And, uh, you know, it, it just, it hit me because I was at the store and I saw a lot of people. And I think that's exactly what you're saying is they feel as though there is this barrier, this comfort zone. And, uh, they're just like, okay, but they were taking their gloves and they were going up underneath of their masks and they were like yeah. picking hair out of their mouth or <laughs> rubbing their eyes or something. Right. And I was just yeah. like, Oh my God, you just Ooh. touched the cooler door, you know, at giant Eagle. And then you're like up in your face. So yeah, it just, uh, you know, it really got to the point where I was like, all right, so things kind of need to get back to normal. Um, but I'm going to, I'm going to wear my mask out at least. And, uh, you know, you got to go to the store. You have to go to the doctors. You have to, you know, be safe, you know, keep yourself safe and, and healthy and happy. Well, I think eventually the other thing to keep in mind is, is so many memes and jokes uh, across the internet. Uh, one of them I saw was a couple uh, that had gained so much weight during quarantine that they couldn't exit their house because the door was too small for them to get out. And so it, it does bring up a point, And that is, is that, you know, we really have to make sure that, you know, 
some of us, I mean, aren't exercise, maybe just the work we're doing. I mean, it might be the, the fact that we're out all the time or we're moving around or we're doing stuff and, and you've, you've totally eliminated that component of it. So we really have to be cognizant of uh, maintaining health uh, during these times. And uh, that's why I really find that uh, if it's an open park or if there's, if there's I mean, really any, anything other than crowded situations, um, you really should take advantage of those, uh, those areas and, and exercise and get out and do those types of things. Yeah. I'm really glad that you said that because, you know, I do have a, uh, a group of friends who are, you know, they're very serious about this. Um, and they, they are only staying in their house. They will not go outdoors. Like they are so scared that their neighbors could breathe and that air will travel to them and this. And then I have a group of friends who are also just as serious about it, but they kind of understand the open air idea where it's like, you know, if we're going to, if we're going to exercise, we're going to go somewhere that, like you said, is not crowded. Um, If they do go somewhere on a nice day and it's super crowded, they'll go somewhere else. Um, But, you know, to be outside and to walk, it's fantastic. That's what's keeping me sane personally. Uh, like me and my wife, uh, every single night, as long as, you know, it's not raining. Um, we go out and we walk, we'll do a couple miles a night. And by the time we get home, it just feels like we actually got to go out and do something. And, you know, just as much physically, I think mentally, it's really, uh, serving a great purpose. (laughs) Well, and I think one of the things to keep in mind is, is that uh, this is nothing special or unique to have viruses in our environment. There are a number of viruses that we contend with on a regular basis through our environment. I think the key here is, is this one is particularly contagious, and and that's what's made this such a a problem. And so, if we focus all our efforts on uh, quote the elimination of any possible way to uh, be in touch with this virus in some way, that's an impossibility. It's a pipe dream that will never happen. We can't live in that bubble. What we want to do is is reduce the amount of virus that we come into contact with per any given moment in time. So uh, you don't want to walk into a ICU, for instance, without proper protection, because there may be a number of patients in there that have this particular condition. But if you're outside and you're at a park and you have hundreds of people, but they're all separated, um, the sort of number of potential encounters you have with that virus is so limited. And even if you do, it's such a small amount that there shouldn't be a reason why an otherwise healthy person shouldn't be able to contend with it. It's high concentrations of virus, uh, and that's why the touching face and the eyes and all this stuff are such a big deal, is because if you have concentration on your fingertips because you were touching something, and then you turn around and hit your eye or your nose, there's an entry port for that virus to get into your body, and that increases the likelihood that you might uh, contract it. And then beyond contracting, because everyone's always worried about contracting it, but beyond contracting, you have to think, Will I contract it? And if I do, is that going to lead to some significant health concern for me? And of course, if you're immunocompromised and you have other reasons uh, uh, to be concerned, by all means, stay away from everyone. Stay at home, you know, do it. 
But if you're otherwise healthy, don't let this condition create a new health problem for you that you're going to have to contend with down the road. Right. Yeah. So I just wanted to get uh, your opinion actually on, um, you know, a few things. I, again, I'm a small business owner. Um, I run a video production company. I make marketing videos for companies and I haven't been working, um, you know, because it takes kind of a, a bunch of people in a small space to, to make those things kind of happen. And the same with this podcast, um, you know, it might only be one or two of us, but my podcast studio is, you know, the size of, uh, maybe a large elevator. And, uh, so it's, you know, in very close contact, but I just wanted to see maybe if you could comment on things like, you know, um, like at Walmart or Lowe's, uh, Home Depot, those types of places being open, but maybe not, um, you know, uh, a barbershop that might say, hey, we're only going to have like two or three people in here at a time. Um, you know, what, what's, your, what's your take on that? So, so I think the, the key is, is and this kind of brings us uh, to the topic of, of even dentistry, for instance. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, again, as I said, exposure limitation is, is the key. So if I'm a barber, for instance, um, you know, I'm not only concerned about maybe giving uh, some of my customers potentially transmitting the virus to them, but I am definitely concerned about myself and the potential that I may contract something from, uh, from a customer. So uh, when you're in that close proximity, dentistry, even my line of work, I do spinal injections. Now, granted, the patients turn the other way facing the other direction because I'm injecting their spine. Right, yeah. uh, but nonetheless, what we try to do is, is when I'm that close to a patient for any prolonged period of time, uh, and those are the instances where the traditional N95 masks, for instance, make a lot of sense. Uh, in fact, uh, uh, one of the gifts I gave my barber, uh, who's planning to open in the next uh, 10 days, uh, was a small pack of, uh, of three N95 masks as a starter kit, for instance. And I said, look, uh, I hope you get back and get things rolling. And But I do recommend that you wear this uh, N95 uh, when you're doing your cutting, for instance, not just a regular mask. Um, and, and so, so I do think, but in these large stores, uh, the Walmarts of the world, the targets of the world, things like that, just adhering to the guidelines. Uh, I noticed a number of these stores have, uh, six foot spacers where people can kind of have guidance as to where six feet is. Um, uh, I think for the most part, uh, the, the, the general public has been really cooperative. I mean, we've seen how, uh, well controlled. I know we hear these numbers all the time about the 70,000 deaths and then millions and millions of positive findings. But I mean, that's a product of being in the United States. We, uh, once we tackle something in the U.S., we tackle it full force. And while other countries have a difficult time gathering enough testing and such, um, I mean, we ramped up within a month uh, millions and millions of, uh, of tests. And so now we're seeing all these positive uh, findings. But one thing that is reflective of all these positive findings is that the overall death rate from this disease is actually fairly low, which is really, really nice because now we can say, okay, it's a highly contagious, but not necessarily an extremely fatal condition for everyone that gets the disease. I mean, there's a subset of people that might be. So I think following um, uh, the, the, the masks or bandanas or anything, it's going to protect the community in general, uh, especially the more frail and the elderly. 
Uh, I do love the fact that uh, a few of these stores, uh, Aldi's and a couple other uh, giant eagle and stuff, they have some hours allocated for the elderly or the immunocompromised, which is a, a, a fantastic way of handling it. In fact, if uh, when I talked to my barber as well, I said the same thing. I said, you know, you might want to just have a couple of, you know, like days a week where in the morning, if they're older or whatever, you know, have them come in at that time where there's less uh, people even out, out in general. And, uh, and, and so they were really uh, thinking about that. So I think you're going to find that we'll just kind of morph into some new, quote, normal. Um, right. and, and to be honest with you, the Walmart pickup service that they do, things like that, um, for me, I've, I've always used those. <laughs> this is nothing, nothing has changed in my life. I mean, I'm always busy. I got to get from the office home and I do the pickup. So uh, I think uh, it's just brought us to a, a, a more technologically advanced level a lot quicker. Even in my practice, I've been always wanting to do telemedicine and things like that for some of my older, more frail patients. And, you know, I never was able to get reimbursed a penny for it. Some of them I would do just pro bono because there's no reimbursement for it, but I wasn't going to drag a 75-year-old person with a lung condition all the way to my office just for a five-minute hello, is everything okay, and move on. Right. But now with a lot of these new uh, uh, stipulations from the uh, Health and Human Services and the, uh, the state as well as the uh, federal level, uh, they're reimbursing physicians for performing the things we've wanted to do forever. And, yeah. and so, so there may be some good out of this this uh as we move down the road that's what i'm thinking i mean as far as business goes i'm seeing you know us getting propelled into the future doing yeah. uh yeah. you know these types of things i mean i was just saying um to my last podcast guest um she runs a small business in greensburg and she is um her immune system is is compromised so she's one of the people that I was talking about. Like she stays in, she stays at home and she doesn't, uh, she doesn't mess with going anywhere. Um, but, um, you know, we were talking about how businesses have, were able to, you know, make this change uh, so quickly and, you know, just seeing businesses, you know, develop uh, these new practices. Um, you know, there might not be, people that want to pay for an office after this, they might say, well, I mean, it's great. My whole staff can work at home. It's, I mean, this is what it is. Why do I need, yeah. Why do I need it? Yeah. I mean, and the fact that, you know, you can see a, a, a medical professional via like the telehealth conferences, like those, those, that's such a cool thing. And especially if it's something that, like you said, isn't uh, dire, you know, if it's just something that's just like, hey, this is a checkup. I just want to see how you're doing. How are you feeling? You know, um, you know, we had one of our kids. He wasn't feeling well. Do a little telehealth thing uh, a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, all it was was just, you know, he had a little cough and, and that was it. And it was nothing. And we they kind of figured out that it might have been allergies or something like that. Sure. And, you know, it wasn't it wasn't anything. Now, he, now he's fine and he's outside riding his bike. I can hear him right now. But um, it's just, it's, I think it's really interesting to see what uh, this will kind of uh, deliver as far as positives uh, when it comes mm, to curbside services, delivery services, uh, you know, things like that. 
I think the one thing about being in the U.S., which is remarkable, and that is, is that we're so small business driven and so entrepreneurially driven that, um, you know, as they all, as the, the, the saying has gone that, you know, no good crisis should go to waste. Um, you know, we look at things like this crisis and say, well, what can we do to fix the situation? And a lot of minds uh, come up with a lot of ideas in a very short period of time. And, and things start to adjust. One of the, the, the things that I was really impressed with was this trend towards, um, uh, you know, obviously we want to check temperatures and things like that when people enter our offices. In general, that's good practice. Uh, forget COVID. I mean, if somebody right. has the flu, they, they don't need to be in my office uh, giving someone else the flu, you know, like it, it, so, so those things make uh, a lot of sense. But um, the online searches and the development of, uh, for instance, thermal cameras is a real hot topic. Uh, I know uh, at uh, UPMC East, just here in, um, in Monroeville, uh, uh, there's a lot of discussion about uh, just having thermal cameras uh, at, the, at the entrance of the doors so that you don't have to inhibit. Like right now, they just have little gatekeepers where you have to stop and get your temperature and walk in and stuff like that. Yeah. But we want to make it as fluid as possible. So maybe I, I don't want the hindrance of having to be stopped every, you know, but where you would only be stopped if the thermal camera registered a, a temperature and you say, okay, excuse me, you need to step over here. We need to check you a little further and stuff like that. So I know it sounds very big brother and, you know, sometimes that can sound a little, little crazy, but, but we have to look at the, the overall population health in general. And we have to make sure that we're, we're keeping people safe. So, I wouldn't be surprised if there's a, a point where walking into Home Depot, uh, you, you know, there's some temperature being registered just, just to yeah. make sure that you're keeping everyone safe within the store too. I think, I think that's a fantastic idea. I mean, I'm, I'm a big fan of technology. So to be able sure. to, you know, keep the public safe and uh, kind of get back to this way of life that, you know, we are all so accustomed to. I mean, if there is such a thing as just walking and, you know, a thermal camera gives the, you know, gives the okay basically sure. for you to continue, then, I mean, what's the big deal? I think that there's a lot of, um, and what I'm seeing that I'm very just kind of like, uh, you know, bummed out about is just seeing that how this is split and how this is turned into some kind of a, like a political thing, just like you said, like the big brother thing. And it's just like, you know, nobody's trying to, to take away your, your rights or anything by having you wear a mask. But what we are doing is, um, you know, really just kind of trying to keep public health and safety at the forefront of, you know, the, uh, our, our efforts. Well, I'll give you a simple example. I mean, for how many years have you seen no shoes, no shirt, no service? Right. Um, that isn't because we're offended by your chest hair or what have you, but <laughs> if you're not wearing shoes, you have a potential for transmitting fungus or other diseases and stuff like that. So we expect you to wear shoes. We expect you to wear a shirt. Then you'll get service, right? I mean, right. so that's not some, you know, controlling your ability to function or your, it's just common sense, good health practice. And I think what we have to do is, is we have to really grind down what is the important aspects of the health practices that we want to keep during uh, the learning process here, and then how best to uh, streamline it. And, and uh, another example would be, for instance, you know, when the 9-11 hit, TSA was 
the biggest thorn in every traveler's side. And then they develop this TSA pre-check and they develop. So as we get savvier, smarter, understand the key critical components, we'll use technology to sort of advance ourselves. And now, honestly, at least prior to COVID, when I travel, I, I don't even think. I just walk right through. I mean, I've got my pre-check. I got my, So traveling is, is not as much of a nuisance as it was two years ago. And so I think we'll figure out how to create that flow. And when we do, uh, this will all just be a story that we tell our kids or grandkids <laughs> tell us how the world went crazy for several months. And that's about it. <laughs> it is really wild. And the one thing that I did want to comment on that you had said was that, uh, you know, people coming in with the flu or something, they shouldn't be there in the first place. And I think that, you know, a few months ago, pre-corona, this, this whole corporate atmosphere was the, this, uh, this thing that was like, oh my God, if I'm not at work, then, you know, my boss is going to notice and blah, blah, blah. Now I think it's going to be a thing where, you know, you go to work sick. I've done it a million times. You know, when I worked in the corporate world, I went to work sick and then I waited all day long for somebody in an authority position to look at me and go, you shouldn't be here and then yeah. send me home. And that was my okay. You know, I felt okay to go home and, uh, you know, maybe take the next day off or something like that. Now I think with the ability for everyone to work from home and the necessity for everyone to feel safe. And I think that if we end up, well, not if, when we end up going back to that corporate setting and things, it's definitely going to be a thing like, hey, I'm not really feeling well. I'm going to stay home. I'm going to work from home today. And there's not going to be any problems now. No, I agree. I agree. This is, uh, this is definitely one of those uh, transitions we're going to have to learn from and uh, create smoother, uh, smoother uh, ability for uh, employees, uh, employers. Uh, but Having created the ability to work at home in so many different scenarios, uh, to be honest with you, even as an employer myself, I mean, I have a small business. We have over uh, 17 employees that we manage right here locally in Westmoreland County. And, um, and through this entire process, the first couple of weeks, we actually created, and, and, I, and I was really impressed with my staff, and they really did a good job. I had a medical assistant at home. I had a nurse at home. I had the physician at home. But as far as the patient's concerned, they were all linked via teleconferencing, just like we're doing now. They were all linked together. The, the medical assistant asked all the appropriate questions and the screening and all this stuff. The nurse gathered all of the medication information and things like that. I listened the entire time. And then the patient was handed off to me, again, sitting at home. And I had the encounter, made decisions on behalf of the patient and told them what we're doing. And my medical assistant was able to record all the orders that I suggested and put it into the computer system. And that transaction was completed. And we did, you know, 80, 90, 100 of these with three doctors and, and uh, physician assistant that we have as well. And so, so hundreds of people were treated and not one of us left our home. That's fantastic. And 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 so if you had asked me to do this three months ago, I'd tell you I would tell you that that would be a six month project to figure out how we would do that. 
Yeah. But you put us in this situation and it, it was a weekend project. <laughs> we figured out how to do it. Yeah. So. It's wild. I mean, like, what kind of a trend are you seeing with your patients uh, in particular as far as, like, you know, pain patients? Are they, are they very kind of worried ab- about going out? Are they, are they nervous to, you know, if it is so dire that they come into your office, are they really nervous about that? Are they expressing that to you? Well, they express it initially because the first thing they say, because they're used to thinking of what it was like, let's say, in January, where we had a, a waiting room that was overflowed to the point where people <laughs> yeah. are waiting in the hallways outside, you know, like, a, and so that's how they envisioned it. And they said, you know, I really need this, uh, I, you know, but, but w- w- what kind of situation have you set up? And, and I tell them, I said, well, when you arrive, you're the only person in that, you know, 10, 12 feet area other than my staff and me. And they're like, then they think about it. And I said, and if you do show up early or you do overlap someone else's visit, we're having you wait in your car and we just call you. And as soon as we remind them of that, then, then their response is, I'll be there tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> so, and, and so that's all they want to know is, is that they're, that they're okay when they show up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, as far as, so how many, I guess, employees do you do you have normally pre-corona? Pre-corona, I'd have seventeen people in the offices uh, all the time, and okay. they, would, they would stay in the offices all the time. Uh, Post-corona, we have uh, eleven, and the remaining six, uh, which I have to give a shout out to SBA and their ability to pull that PPP loan off because. Yeah. That saved our that saved our business. I mean, there's no question about it. That's great. And so I'm glad to hear. Um, I'm glad to hear that it it happened for somebody because yeah. all you hear are the horror stories. I'm glad to hear that it helped you guys. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was. Otherwise, we were we were facing uh, potentially shutting down just because um, our uh, revenues dropped uh, about seventy two percent. Uh, within the first four weeks of this whole uh, shutdown, oh yeah, we're 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 back up to about fifty percent now, and I have a good feeling that by June we'll be at least past seventy-five or eighty percent back. But that window um, forced us to actually uh, furlough some of our employees and you know things like that. But I'm very proud to say that uh, by the last week of May, we will have a hundred percent of all of our employees back full force, even though they're going to be in the office physically, uh, they won't be interacting with the same number of patients because the majority of them will still be telemedicine, only those patients requiring treatment uh, that requires me to actually perform a procedure or do something on them. Those are the only patients that will actually come to the office. Yeah, that's really, that's really awesome. That's, it's so cool to hear that, you know, you guys uh, got the help that you needed. That's really great. I, I, I feel blessed and very, very lucky. Um, and we got it in the first round. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, but I do remember that Friday when they announced it. I, I think I pretty much spent the entire day and evening on the website, which crashed every 10 minutes. Yep. Uh, and I kept reloading and, and putting it in and reloading and putting it in. And finally it went, went through and, uh, you know, we, we ended up getting it. That's great. So as far as like the patients, I guess that um, not just the patients that are having some kind of a procedure done, but what about, um, and I, I noticed that, you know, on your site, you guys have a very 
strict policy um, on like the, the opioids and stuff like that. You have to oh, yeah, yeah, very much. be seen. Um, <laughs> and then what you guys are doing, I believe, what is it? A monthly check for every time yes. a new prescription has to be written. Yes. Yes. So and we're utilizing telemedicine. We're utilizing telemedicine in a different a number of different ways. And uh, what this has spawned, and I just had a meeting earlier uh, this morning uh, with a company looking at some new technology. What this has spawned is, is uh, new app technology that will be reminders for patients uh, to actually, from a let's say a pill count perspective, because I always want to make sure that they're taking the right amount and they're not mm-hmm. taking more or less, uh, particularly when it comes to opiates. But this uh, company's devised an app which uh, has a lot of security features that are in place and time and date stamping the images and stuff, but people actually can take a picture of their pills and the AI processing within the software does the pill count by way of the picture, recognizes the actual pill, cross-references it with the database to confirm that you're not just taking a picture of your blood pressure medicine and saying it's your pain medicine, you know, right, there's yeah. so many ways around it. And, and then reports back to the physician that this person at this random time, it could be six o'clock in the evening and they have a two hour window to take a picture of their meds or what have you. So, so all these things are, are spawned out of this, uh, this uh, telemedicine side of it. And so we'll be soon able to remotely manage uh, people without a whole lot of, uh, of, of concern about the distribution of medications and stuff. Um, and I wouldn't say without a lot of concern, but certainly less concern than we do at this time. Uh, some of the patients that we really do need to see, again, what we're doing is, is we're spacing them out so that the intervals don't overlap. And even if I do need to see somebody f- for uh, counseling or something else that, that, that couldn't be done over the telemedicine visit, we're just placing them in block times that where the last patient was a half an hour before and the next patient's half an hour later. And so that there isn't a, uh, a major uh, flux of patients in the office. That's incredible. Yeah. I mean, like, it's so, it's, it's really cool to think that, you know, like you said, this was able to happen over a weekend. It was yeah, it, literally so wild. over a weekend. I mean, I remember, you know, my last corporate job, it was, you know, I'm, I was a video director there. So, I mean, we would only shoot a couple days a week. And I remember saying, Hey, you know, on the days I'm not shooting, like, you know, all my computer work, could I, let me just do that at home. So I don't have to drive down to the city all the time. And it was just like, Oh man, we can't figure that out. That's, that's just like, Too that, much work, that, right? <laughs> that's something that's gonna, you know, would, would take a, you know, a long time to figure out to get you guys to work from home, all that stuff. And what do you know? Everybody figured it there out just like that. So, <laughs> but really, hey, man, I'm really, uh, I'm really glad that you guys um, are still up and moving, and you're still able to help the people out here in this community. Um, you guys have six locations, is that correct? Uh, yeah. So our actual office locations, where we see patients in the office, there's three locations, and then we have three additional uh, locations that are uh, surgery center locations and things like that where we do procedures and stuff. So, okay. uh, but Mount, Mount Pleasant, Greensburg and Pleasant Hills uh, in the West Midland area are the three primary office locations. Great. And you're scheduled in the Greensburg office or uh, yeah, I, I actually, Greensburg office, I mean. yeah, I'm primarily Greensburg and, um, 
and Mount Pleasant. Um, and my wife's in practice with me also, Dr. Brenda. And uh, she uh, she covers pretty much the same area. And then my other partner is Dr. Lewis uh, Oligario, and he practices mostly in the, the South Hills area. But we do, we cross over. And, and if for some reason, uh, you know, patient it's more convenient to see me at one of the other locations. We try to arrange the schedules to do so. But even that's subsided now a lot because of the telemedicine. So regardless of the location, you know, they could see me in Greensburg, but never leave their house. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's funny. So um, I guess, uh, I guess we'll call it there. I mean, okay. Uh, that was very interesting. Definitely one of my most interesting podcasts. I, I love this. Uh, just, oh, the, the, you know, going on about, you know, real world stuff and, and what technology is going to do to, to help us get back to normal uh, as much as we can. But um, if you have any uh, social media links or website links that you'd like to, to toss out, now's the time to do it. Yeah, www.dnapain.com. And uh, we're on Facebook and, uh, and Instagram, things like that. So. But DNA Pain is the uh, is the medical practice, and uh, DNAPain.com is the website. Excellent. Hang on one second. I'm just going to go ahead and stop this recording. Thanks for being on the show. Absolutely. All right. There he goes, Dr. Yesh Navigan. It seems as though the worst thing you can do is not go and be seen if you are having a medical emergency. I think that is common sense at this point, but I do understand the hesitation because of all the information out there that is telling you to stay indoors and, uh, you know, don't leave the house. But uh, you heard it here from the doctor. If you are in need of medical attention, then you should definitely go and be seen. All right. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. It's been a blast. Yes, I had a great time talking to you, and uh, I hope we can chat again soon. Be safe, and we'll see you guys next time.